You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Due to technical difficulties, this message is joined in progress. See this person, Christ, and decide what we're going to do with him. That it's not just going to be an acceptance and then that's all that ever happens, but there's going to be more. And, and James gives a couple of examples. Hey, control your tongue. Go out and serve people. And, and he's going to go on to give more examples. But, but the idea here is that there's something we should be doing. That, that it's not just enough to hear it. And we can't settle on that. If we really want to know Christ, if we really want to have a walk, if we really want to do what we were built to do, we have to do something with this faith. So I'm going to talk about three types of laziness. I think there's three. Um, there's probably like a billion types of laziness. But uh, three that I, that I came up with. The first one is that I'm apathetic. Okay? Apathetic means I just don't, I just don't have the energy. I just don't care enough. It's not worth it. Right? And so think about that in terms of your spiritual walk. How many times have you seen your Bible or, or, or been at worship and there's just been not enough energy to approach God? In, in our spiritual walk, I think apathy is one of, the, one of Satan's biggest tools is, you know what, you'll eventually get to it. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. And, and we become apathetic and we have to challenge that. We have to work past that. Now, the other type of laziness uh, is the laziness of distraction right? Facebook is evil, all right? Because you can get on Facebook, just, yeah, I'll just get check up on a couple friends, and like midnight later, right, you've played like three flash games that have no point, right? You've, you've gotten involved in an argument on Facebook that is, is just a dumb argument over like what her hair really should have looked like, right? We do all these things on Facebook, and I, I, sometimes I'll find myself on Facebook going, I really, really should get to something important right now. I'm using this as a distraction. And Facebook isn't the only one. How many of you guys have children? Okay, children are the def... If you look up the word distraction in the dictionary, it'll be a picture of your children. Okay? Whoever you are, the dictionary is cool like that. It just changes. Right? Man, they need clothes. They need food. They just whine. Right? I, I, didn't, I thought kids were going to be wonderful, and they are. I didn't understand the second half. That there's times when they're not wonderful. I'm going to go ahead and say this. I'm going to step out on a limb here. My kids are not always wonderful. Okay? I know. You're like, really, Logan? Man, that little high-pitched voice after a while, you just want to slap a kid. Right? I don't. I don't. But every now and then, you're just like, shut up. Uh, you can't say that because I get in trouble for saying the word shut up at home. My wife yells at me. Um, tells me to shut up. Uh, I think it's kind of ironic. Right? But they... There's so many things in this world that distract us, and we use them as excuses. I couldn't get into my Bible this week. I just, you know what, there was bills, and my, and my car broke down. And, and I was going to pray, but my kid got sick. That one makes me kind of laugh in my head when I use that excuse to God. I'm like, my kid's got sick, and God's like, you're not going to come to me? And I'm like, oh, good point. You win. Infinity for God, zero for Sean, right? <sighs> Guys, we... We use distractions to excuse our spiritual laziness. We do. And then the last one's the killer one. I'm afraid. Okay, I am afraid. And so how many times have you been afraid and just not done anything because it was the easier way out? Okay, I'm going to tell you a story that's going to sound familiar. Okay, you guys go back all the way to the beginning of 
the Bible, you have these books, Genesis, Exodus. There's some great stuff there. If you have never, never read those books, please do. Heroes of the faith are found there. And we have the Israelites. And the Israelites have been taken out of Egypt. And they're, getting, they're right at the edge of the promised land, this land that God has promised them. And, and they say, you know what, let's check it out first. So they send 12 spies in. And they all come out and say the same thing. It's great. It's awesome. I mean, there's like huge grapes and like milk and, and honey. And it's, it's, a, it's a great land. It's amazing. And, and 10 of them say, but there's giants. And they're scary. And they're afraid. And two of them say, hey, there are giants. And we probably are afraid. But we have God. Right? And so the, the end of the story is very simple. The Israelites side with the ten. They're too afraid. So instead of doing what they need to do and taking the steps they need to take to go into the land, they wander around the desert for 40 years. Right? Now get this. They know where they are. We think that they're lost. I don't think they're lost. I think they know exactly where they are. And God is just not allowing them to go in anymore. And so they wander. See if this sounds familiar. Between what God has promised them and the sins of their old life. So in their wanderings, they circle back near Egypt and they see what their old life looked like. They don't go back to it, but they see it. They sometimes long for it. And then there comes times when they get close to the promises of God and they're just too lazy to do anything about it. And so they circle back to their old life. Does that sound familiar? I know it does for me. I know that when I get in this rut of not pushing past what God has called me to do, that I get lazy and I just circle between my old life and what God has promised. And you're thinking, well, my old life is like way, way gone. And I say, no, but God's taking you to a new place. And every time God takes you to a new place, you have a new old life, a new place that was comfortable, a new place that God doesn't want you anymore. And it's hard to step out of that into what God has promised. So let's, let's go into this, all right, as we, as we move forward. Um, I love the verses that come after this. These are verses that I have, like, written on my mirror and written in different places so that I see them. So when I get lazy, God, like, kicks me and says, hey, it's time to coach up a little bit. It's time to take another step. I'm not, I'm not okay with where you are. Let's keep going. It says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's a sin. Guys, you might not be at a place where you're reading the Bible every day, but if you're supposed to read it this week and you don't do it and you knew you were supposed to, it's a sin, James says. He's not saying how much. He's saying you know what you're supposed to do and whatever you're supposed to be doing, let's work on that. Do your best to present yourself to God, Paul says, as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We're supposed to give God our best. Picture this for a second, right? You get home from work. You deal with whatever is going on at home, whether it be husband or wife or kids or bills or broken down car, whatever it may be, right? And you're tired. And you just say, God, you know what? I'll get to you tomorrow. I'm tired. You understand. You know how it goes. And I think to myself when I make that excuse sometimes, God says, what if I treated you like you treat me? What if I got to the cross and you said, you know what, not today. I'm tired. I got beat. I'm sore. I'm not going to do this today. I, just, I always laugh because we want to be like Christ, but we don't want to do the things Christ did. It's just weird to me. I, and guys, I'm not 
talking to you. This is places I've been all summer. This is where God's been working on me all summer. So I, I feel where you guys may be in this, I think. Do you do not, uh, Paul, love Paul in this. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wealth, but we are an imper- we, we have an imperishable wealth. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body, keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So here's what Paul sets up for you. Guys, this is not easy. Think about athletes, right? I, would, I, I've, I've, I love coaching football. I love coaching wrestling. Those are my two sports, right? If I was coaching, that's what I'd be doing. And, and, and in these sports, you get people of all levels, And I don't expect a freshman coming in to football to be able to do what a senior does. But I point to those seniors and say, hey, if you take this step today, okay, if you'll trust me to direct you because I've seen and I know how this game works and and I know you know what you've done and how you work, but if you'll just try this and perfect this, that's the first step. And eventually you'll be here where these seniors are, where it'll be automatic. And guys, I say the same thing to you. I'm not expecting you to pick up the Bible and read it every day if you haven't already been doing that. I don't expect you to understand the gospel and apply it until you've studied it a little. But we got to start somewhere. And Paul's saying, look, I don't just beat the air and expect anything to happen. I purposely think about where I'm at and where I want to be, and I work at it like an athlete. I like Paul, right? So let's keep going. Let's talk about Satan for a second. Do you understand that Satan wants these, these things for you? He wants you to do nothing. That is his biggest lie to you. Doing nothing is okay. Think about that. If you're doing nothing, Satan wins. Because all through the New Testament, we're going to see this, Jesus and Paul command us to, to do. To, think about the last thing Jesus says. Go out into all the world and make disciples. Right? Love your neighbor. Love God. Paul talks about using the gifts and the spirit. And, and James tells us to feed orphans and widows. Right? All through the New Testament, we're going to hear, go out and use this newfound faith to increase the kingdom. And Satan's biggest goal is to get us to do nothing. Because if we're doing nothing, then that's not happening. People don't know Christ. God is not glorified. His kingdom doesn't grow. Satan wins in that small instance. He wants us to be distracted. Do you realize these distractions that come up in your life, almost always Satan uses them? I'm not saying Satan causes your kids to distract you, okay? Your your kids are not run by Satan, I hope. (laughs) If not, we'll pray, (laughs) okay? But, But Satan doesn't take your kids and say, hey, go distract mom and dad. Kids distract mom and dad, and Satan uses that to let you be lazy. Hey, you've worked hard today. God will understand. These distractions were a lot. Move on. We'll we'll deal with something. And you end up doing nothing that day, not growing closer to Christ, not hearing from him, not letting him work with you. See, see, God has bigger plans, and and Satan definitely wants you to be afraid. Satan wants you to look at the land that God has promised and see giants. Matter of fact, he emphasizes those giants. He makes those giants seem huge. He wants you to step up on that field and he wants you to be afraid. But God's told us we don't have a spirit of fear. 
God's told us he's already won. He's already conquered. We have nothing to be afraid of. But, but Satan uses that fear to make us lazy, to make us do nothing, right? So we have to fight that. Here's the deal. If we have an enemy and it wants us to do something, we have to fight that. We can't buy into that. We can't be okay with it. We can't. If we become okay with that, then we're aligning ourselves with the enemy. But if we fight, then we're saying, I'm not okay with this. I might not always win. I might not always do what I'm supposed to, but I'm going to fight. And, and I'm going to do the things I know I'm supposed to do, even if I fail. We're so afraid of failure. We shouldn't be. Let me just, let me just take the suspense out of it. You are going to fail. But why be afraid of that? Failure just tells us how to start over and do it more intelligently, right? Don't be afraid of failure. Push, because in failure, we learn where where God can teach us. If I have a freshman in a football camp and he never fails, he'll never grow. If he never fails, I'll never be able to point out what it is he can do better. Okay, there was a fight last night. How many watched it? Probably the most dominant female fighter of our time was dominant again last night. Okay, she knocked out her opponent in like less than a minute. Right? It, was, it was over before it even started. You know what makes me sad? She is so good, no one will ever push her to be better. Every time I watch her, I think I wish there was just one person who could challenge her so she could know how good she could really be. And I think about us that way. I hope people challenge me. I hope people say, hey, spiritually, you're not, you're you're failing at some things and and we can do this better. Let's look at how we can do it. I think there's two things we can do to engage because engaging is, is the opposite of being lazy. If I'm engaging, I'm not lazy. Okay, I'm not. So, guys, laziness is, is just selfishness. You guys get that? Laziness is deciding that what I want is more important than what God wants. Every time you sit down to not study or not do these things that God wants us to do, you're basically saying, God, what's happening in my life is more important than what you want. You're calling me to know you. You're calling me to worship you. You're calling me to to focus on you. But right now what I've got going on is more important than that. That's what laziness is. I mean, really and truly. Think about it. When you're lazy and you don't do something and you blow anybody off, you're really telling that person, what I have right now is more important than what you have. And as long as we can admit that and talk about it, then we can, we can grow from it. And, and it's okay. Guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but we're sinners. You guys, did you guys know that? Man, what an amazing thing grace is that I can look at this, I can admit that I'm a sinner, I can admit that sometimes I fail, and God says it's okay, let's use that, let's grow from that. So, a couple things. Number one, own the gospel. When we understand and accept the gospel, we will be driven to know Christ more. It will drive you if you understand the gospel. You're like, I got the gospel. Maybe. Well, we got to start here, because if we understand the basic tenets of the gospel, I promise you that you will be driven to know Christ more. Okay, so let's talk about this, okay? The gospel takes us to Christ himself, okay? All the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, it points to Christ. Christ is the defining act of all of history. 
these things that are of God, these things that allow us to understand the gospel, they allow us to make our faith and trust and confidence, they put it in God. The gospel allows us to put all those things in Christ, understanding it, knowing it, really owning it, lets us put all that in Christ. When we put all that in Christ, we start to find our delight, our satisfaction. We start to find all of that in Christ, and we want more. Think about the things that you delight in. Use that word in your head right now. What things in life do you delight in? You want to do them more. If you have a love right now, if you have something you just love, you'll want to do it more. I love my kids. I find myself spending more and more time with them. As they get older and develop personalities, they are interesting. Right? I got my drama queen. I'm not going to tell you which one. Okay? I got my tomboy. Okay? I got my athlete, and I got my comedian. Right? Those are how I think of them. Right? And they're fun. And they're all different. Like, the girls are so different from each other and the boys are so different from each other. I thought the boys would be like each other and the girls and it's not at all like I thought it would be. But I love it. I, I delight in them. And I'm finding that the more I dig into the word and the more I give myself over to God, the more I delight in that. The same way, I want more. Guys, we have to start doing that. Um, see, the, I think the church does something wrong. They don't mean to do it. But they tell you, hey, seek God and find him. And that's well and good. We should be telling you that. But we stop sometimes there. Because you look at the saints of old, you look at my heroes of the faith, the John Edwards, the Augustine of of Hippo, the Clements. Guys, go back and study these guys. They're awesome. The Dietrich Bonhoeffers. Okay? These guys sought God. They found God. And then they sought him more. See, and that's what we have to do. We stopped at, hey, I found God. I'm happy. Don't be happy with that. Be happy that you found God and go find more happy because God has an unlimited amount to give you. We are never going to fathom God fully. There's never going to be a point where you're going to be able to say, I understand God, I got it. Never going to happen. But man, the closer we get to him, the more wonderful it is. Okay, so a couple things I want you to think about. The gospel. Actually, read this verse with me. And that from childhood... You've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So here's that seek and find. You've known the scriptures. You've known they're available, and you can find Jesus in them. And that's where we usually stop. But Paul doesn't stop. He keeps going. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. There's more out there. There is so much more to your salvation than you have currently got. And I don't care where you are. I don't care how long you have known God. There is more. A deeper, richer satisfaction in God that is going to fill up every longing, every hole, every empty spot you have. If you'll let him. So let's look at the gospel. The gospel claims three things. First, it claims authority. We have to buy in that this is our authority. The world is not our authority. The, the, what the world says and the opinion of the world does not matter if it does not match this. The gospel says this is it. This is the word of God. We're told that this, the Bible is God breathed. Now, that just doesn't mean that God spoke and somebody heard it and wrote it down. That meant that this Bible is the air, the exhale 
of God. That's what that word means if you read the Greek. It's the exhale, which means this is the very substance of God. And somebody say, well, it's been translated. Maybe the apostles got it wrong. Do you really think God would give a part of himself out and not watch over it? You really got, think God would say, I claim this to be the very substance of me and not take care of it and not guard it for all of eternity? Because if you don't believe that, then this is worthless. This has to be your authority, even when you don't like what it says. Because you're not going to like what it says all the time. But if it truly is the essence of God, then it's right. We have to buy that because everything else falls out of that. The second thing it tells us that God is our ultimate authority. It claims the majesty, the kingship of God. If you serve a king, you do what the king says. And if you'll own that and you'll understand the entire majesty of God, that God just doesn't love us, but he's just and he's righteous and he cares about what we do and he has a plan and it's a good plan. And you start to understand that this king rules a kingdom and we're subjects to him. Then what Jesus did at the cross, how many kings die for their subjects? It starts to take on whole new meaning. And then the last thing that the scriptures tell us is who we really are, the rebellion we've taken part in and the punishment that we're due. And when we start to grasp this, guys, when we start to really grasp the totality of the gospel, that God is king and he is holy and he is righteous and one day we have to answer for what we did and that king loves us so much he was unwilling to let us die. Matter of fact, he was so unwilling he died for us so that we could live forever. He loves us that much. And the story of the Bible starts to take on amazing meaning. And it overflows. You can't help yourself. You find yourself talking about it. Man, I was just at church the other day, and Jesus was, and he did this. And, and I was listening to this sermon where he sat at this well, and he told this woman about living water, and he loved her. And we start serving people, and we start talking about God. And we don't worry about, hey, I'm in my workplace. I can't talk about God. You can't help it. If you really understand the gospel, I promise you, you will surprise yourself. You'll be like, whoa, I just witnessed to somebody. How'd that happen? I've never done that before. It's because the gospel is not containable. When you start to take it and put it in you and you start to memorize verses and you start to do some of these things, you can't contain it. Think about it. It's, it's thousands of years old and no one's been able to put it out of commission. Countries, dictators, rulers have tried to get this thing off the table. They haven't been able to do it anywhere. China says it's illegal. It's there. It's uncontainable. Think about that. Guys, I'm not going to be lazy anymore when I have something inside of me that can no longer be contained. I'm going to have to do something about it. Okay, so let's keep going. How do we do it then? So... Um, let's, let's talk about spiritual disciplines because we all hate this. Okay, this is the do part of the Bible. Grace is free. You have an unlimited amount. When you start to understand who God is and who we really are, you start to understand how much of a gap there is between us and God. It's not a small gap. It's cross-sized. And when we start to understand how big that cross is, we start to get grace. And when we start to get grace, we want more. The beautiful thing about grace is it's unlimited. 
you get as much as you want. The more you understand the need for it, the more God will give you, which will allow you to grow and be excited about who he is and who you are in him. So let's keep going. Spiritual disciplines. I got to tell you this. They don't do anything by themselves. If you pray and you read the Bible and you do these things and you expect it to change you, the disciplines themselves will not change you. But they draw you into the presence of an almighty God who will change you. Praying takes you to a place where you're speaking directly to God. And while you might not be hearing direct answers, God is working on you. And where you're like, I didn't hear a voice, it doesn't matter. God doesn't need to speak to you to heal you. God doesn't need to speak to you to give you direction and opportunity. God does not need to speak to you to help solve your problems. Sometimes he does. But prayer always takes us to a listening God. Reading your Bible, understanding scripture, memorizing this thing, I can't tell you how many times I'll be in a situation and because I've put something in the armory, right? The Holy Spirit has something to find when he needs it, right? So I've got an armory and the Holy Spirit busts in and he says, okay, I need a weapon to fight Satan who's trying to make you lazy and all he's got is John three sixteen. It's a great verse. But you've given him one weapon. What if we had Romans 5, 8? But God demonstrated his love for us in this and that where we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's one more weapon. And it's a different weapon for a different situation. How about Ephesians 1.8? God is so full of grace and kindness, so rich that he paid for our sins with the death of his son on the cross and forgave us. I mean, those are powerful verses. If I have those in my head, guys, you don't have to have them word for word. I can't always remember them word for word, but I tell you what, when I need them, they're there. And the Holy Spirit has something to use because I've taken the time to learn them. I need to learn more. I should have hundreds. I don't. Okay? They draw us into the presence of God. They allow God to work on us. And this is important. They cannot be separated from the commands of Christ. Do you understand that the commands of Christ are impossible unless you're at least a little spiritually disciplined, are you really ready to love others more than you love yourself? I'm not, always. Sometimes. But I fail a lot of this. But if I start reading the Bible and I start praying and I start fasting and I start serving, I become more equipped to love others better than I love myself. Right? Are you really ready to go into all the world and risk all if God calls you to? Maybe, maybe not. But as I start to discipline myself, I start to trust God. And as I start to trust God, I'm willing to go into the places that seemed scary before I trusted him. It, it, it's kind of cool how these disciplines work. The scriptures constantly expose us as people who are both thirsty and foolish. Okay? Read the scriptures. They're going to tell you two things. You're thirsty for God and you approach it foolishly. And when I say you, I mean me. We all do it, okay? We long for satisfaction. We were built by God to enjoy, but we all move away from God to find it. That's the foolish part. I want what God offers. And he says, go this way, and I go this way because I think I can find it on my own. God says, that's foolish, and I'm still thirsty. I still want God but I have to start doing these disciplines or I'm never going to find him. He says, do these things. They'll draw me closer to you. They'll draw you closer to me. We'll have a relationship. 
Anybody have a relationship in here with anyone? Okay, if you're sitting next to someone, you have some kind of relationship. It might just be you're the stranger I sat next down, down next to relationship. We have some kind of relationship. Did you just get that for free? Did they just say, hey, marry me and we'll be all right? Or was there some work you had to put in? All relationships require discipline of some sort or they don't last. So let's keep going. It's one thing to believe the Bible, to believe what this says, and something altogether different to allow the Bible through the Holy Spirit to impact and change who you are. See, God will not force this. But if we allow this, if we allow these disciplines to happen, then God can change us. God can work on us. God can love us. God can heal us. But we have to do these disciplines and and, and say that we're allowing that to happen. God won't force it. But we can allow it. Think about this. Christ provides access to a relationship with him transforms us through that relationship and then affects a greater relationship in that union even more. This circle never ends. As long as we're willing to participate in it, he draws us in, he changes us, and then he increases the relationship and draws us in all over again to take us to a new place. He's never done with us. And that sounds tedious at times, but the thing is, it's only tedious if sometimes it doesn't work. Whenever we allow God to change us and transform us, it's always better. Always. I don't care if your circumstances get worse. You have drawn closer to God, and somehow, in my experience, that has always been better, regardless of what's going on externally. It's amazing. Get this. The Gospels record over 400 acts of devotion carried out by Jesus. Jesus was already holy and already perfect. It records 400 acts of him praying, memorizing scripture, repeating scripture, fellowshipping with people, doing all these disciplines. 400 acts, Jesus. Spiritual disciplines are Jesus-endorsed practices. He didn't just say to do them, he did them. When we do the things he did, we're made holy like he is holy. When we love like Christ, when we live like Christ, when we believe like Christ. If we want to do those things, why do we think we can can live and love and be like Christ if we're not willing to do the things Christ did? Let that sink in for a second. Why do we think we can be holy without doing the things the most holy did? That should move you. That, man, I read that. I don't remember which book I read that in. I was studying and I read that and that just like drilled a hole right in my heart. I expect to be holy. I expect to follow Christ, but somehow I feel like there's a shortcut. There isn't, okay? Disciplines allow us to empty ourselves. The more we empty ourselves, the more he can fill us. Disciplines allow us to empty ourselves, to stop being selfish, to stop being lazy, and he can step in and fill. That's cool. Think about that. Listen to what James says. Is, and, and, and Tezar used this verse, but I thought it was a great verse, and I, I thought it, bear, it was repeat, bear repeating. If any one of you is in trouble, he should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders 
of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Do you hear how many things James tells us to do in that verse? And every do has a, a, a reaction to it. Every time you enter into these spiritual disciplines, God acts. It might not be the way we want him to. Sometimes we think Jesus only says yes or no. Jesus has so many answers. Yes. No. No, not right now. No, you're not ready for this. And yes, here's more than you even asked for. Jesus is not a two-dimensional God. He understands where we are and what kind of answer we need right now. And he knows exactly how to respond to our things in life when we don't even know how to ask. But disciplines draw us into a relationship with this God. And eventually what's cool is we start asking for the right things. See, I hope I get there someday. These spiritual greats that I read about that not only knew how to follow God and serve God with all their lives, they knew what to ask. How powerful is that? To ask a question you know is going to be answered. I want to be there. I I really do. Okay, get this. I love this statement. It's not mine. I'd love to take credit for this. can't remember whose it is. Okay? The fruit of a life in Christ is a life like Christ. Let Let that permeate for a second. The fruit of being in Christ is a life like Christ. We have no greater goal in life than to be like Christ. He loved unconditionally. He treated people well. He cared about people regardless of whether they believed what he believed or not. He challenged people to be more. I want to be that kind of person. I want to be like Christ. The fruit of my life, of my disciplines of approaching him is becoming like him. I want to be like my Savior. But I can't be lazy. It's not going to happen if I do nothing. Got a couple more things, guys. Augustine of Hippo, this one I do know, okay? He said this, You stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you've made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. He turns a pretty good phrase. Our heart is restless until it rests in him because we were made. I had a pastor that used to say, we are most satisfied when he is most glorified. Guys, these disciplines draw us in. They're, they're not a burden. They're not something you have to do to be a good Christian. They're something you do that takes you to the next level in your walk in Christ. And Christ works on you through them. It's amazing. Listen to these two verses. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Remember, the Bible paints us as thirsty. That would be tragic if this verse wasn't in the Bible. Because you're thirsty, and Christ says, if you hunger and thirst after me, I promise you, you will be filled. See, we cannot be satisfied with a come-to-church Christianity. I'm sorry. We can't be okay with that. It's not just about serving and showing up at the occasional church activity. I can only take you so far. Every Sunday I can come and I can explain scriptures to you, Ted can explain scriptures to you, but eventually you're going to be alone with God. 
and you're going to have to take ownership of your growth. I can't do it for you. I wish I could. But I mean, I will do my best to give you every tool. But eventually, you or God are going to be alone, and your disciplines will grow you in Him. My disciplines will never grow you in Him. But yours will. Your disciplines will never grow me. I eventually have to be alone, one-on-one with God, and decide that He's worth pursuing, that what matters to Him is more important than what matters to me. That I'm done being lazy. I'm going to work at it. Isaiah says this, Why do you spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. He's begging. And eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. There's nothing better than filling yourself with God, he says. Okay, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, my absolute favorite. Okay, if you guys ever want to read a book that will just rock your world, read The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Okay, great book. In this, he says this, Let's not make our grace a cheap grace. One of uh, Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of the church. We're fighting today for costly grace. See, what we're after today is a grace that we have to work at to empty ourselves out so we can get more. The grace is free. The challenge is emptying ourselves out so we can get more. Guys, salvation costs you nothing. Pursuing after salvation costs you everything. The rich young ruler was told to sell everything. We're told to pick up our cross and follow him, right? Daily, it's going to cost us. But here's what it comes down to. Never, ever will you pursue God and have it return void. And some of you are sitting in here discouraged because you've tried this and you've failed. Don't be discouraged. Why am I lazy? Because I am a sinner. And I will be a sinner for the rest of my life, and I will always fight this. The worldly part of me does not want me to pursue God, and I will fight it for the rest of my life. And I will fail. But every time I succeed, I'm that much closer to a God who loves me. Unconditionally, completely and wholly, who fills every hole with as much grace as he can stuff in there. Guys, let's pursue that God. My challenge to you this week is to do something. I tell, I tell my athletes when they come in, I get freshmen who can't do a push-up, and I'm like, by the end of the year, you have to do 100 push-ups. The youth are familiar with the story. I tell it all the time, right? They're like, I can't do 100 push-ups. I can't even do one. I'm like, let's work on one. And they come, they come all excited. I did my first push-up. Awesome. Let's do two. And they might not get to 100 by the end of the year, but odds are they'll get to 50 or 60, and they'll come all disappointed. I didn't get to 100, coach. I say, hey, you can do 68 more push-ups now than you could do at the beginning of the year. That's like infinity better, right? And they get all excited. I'm going to work all summer. They delight in their successes. They don't don't even pay attention to the failure. Really start focusing on your successes. If you don't read the Bible on a weekly basis, read it once this week. That's my challenge, one time. If you don't have quiet time for God, Carve out one five-minute session where you can sit down and focus just on God. Because guess what? That's five minutes more than you did last week. And when you fail, don't feel like it's all over. Failure just says, hey, something kept me from doing this. I can fix this. I can do this better. And, and, and here's the thing. It's an experiment, guys. 
This is what I'm telling you. If you'll do the things I'm asking you to do, which is grow in your spiritual disciplines, then God says you will be filled. If you'll be in me, the fruit of that is you'll be more like me. If you'll start doing the things I did, you'll be holy like me. Put it to the test. God never fails. When he says a promise, the Bible is infallible, which means his promises we can count on, we can stand on, and he promises us if we hunger and thirst after him, we'll be filled. So church, let's do that. This week, let's hunger and thirst after him. This week, let's not just be satisfied with checking off the church list. This week, let's not be lazy as we were last week. Let's be disciplined. Know him more. Be filled more. And I promise you, when you come next week to church, it'll have more meaning than it did the week before. I promise when you're in a problem that you've never had a solution for, you'll have a God that cares and you'll know he's there. And eventually, you'll have a solution in his timing. Let's pray. God, I just thank you that you love us so much that you're not done with us. That you're not satisfied with us just being saved. That you want to deeply know us. And God, somehow we get to deeply know our king. God, that I don't have to live in rebellion. I can join in with you. God, I pray right now for the believers and the unbelievers alike in this room that this week they search you out a little bit more, that they're not satisfied with where they're at, but that knowing you a little bit more is important. And God, that they, they don't just hear that and identify with it, but that they follow up with it, God, that you are relentless, that the Holy Spirit comes down on this group and you are relentless so that they can know what it feels like to know you more. God, don't leave us alone this week. Pursue us. Help us be more disciplined. Coach us. Teach us how to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.